Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women, women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 8. Our Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are humans that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. There's a, there's a whole new feng shui in here. So, do I look tall? That's the, that's the first time that's ever been said. Wow, I'll take that. I will take that. Anyway, so we're just trying to figure out kind of where everything goes and how to get all set up here and where can I stand so that the stage doesn't squeak or the speaker doesn't feed back. So there's all kinds of fun stuff going on here today. Um, it, is, it is so cool to see you all here like this. Honestly, I wish... Come up here at, at some point and look out at y'all because this is cool. I like this a lot. I like seeing everybody together like this. It's going to be interesting as we move into this new space and how we fill it and how uh, it helps shape us as a church going forward. So I'm looking forward... Uh, to being in here with you all. Um, thank you to all of you who are watching online. I think I know everybody here in the room, but if there's somebody watching at home, my name is Dan Cook, and I'm the pastoral intern here at Genesis. Um, and it is a, truly a blessing for me every time I get to be up here speaking to you all and sharing God's word with you all. So thank you for being here today. I want to start with a question, and it's not an all play. We'll get to an all play a little bit later. This is purely rhetorical. But I, I want to wonder if I'm the only one in the room, and I'm sure I'm not that has had a moment where you're like, I, I just wish there was a bat phone that I could pick up and I knew God was gonna be on the other end of it because I have some feelings and I need to you know, say some stuff. And it's not always a bad thing, although you, you, you know, that's, I think for me anyway, that's the first place I go is that when I'm angry or when I'm hurt or when I'm sad, that's when I just, you know, what's going on, God? But there are times of joy that you wanna share with other people too and I think that's also a time where I feel like I wanna, you know, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe I get to see this. I can't believe I get to be part of this. The thing of it is, that bat phone <laughs> exists. That's what prayer is for. The idea of prayer, which is what we're going to talk about today in the, in the Holy Spirit, 
is that kind of two-way conversation with God. We think of it, I think, often as something where we're speaking to God or we're lifting some sort of feeling or emotion or vibe up to God. But it's supposed to be a two-way street. It's supposed to be a two-way street. And so, I don't know about you all, I struggle with that. I've always struggled with prayer. How do I pray? What am I supposed to say? When am I supposed to do it? What's the routine? I'm an Enneagram 5. I need my routines. I need my structure. You know, am I praying in the morning? Am I praying in the evenings? Is it supposed to be a long period of time? Is it just a short period of time? Do I need some sort of accoutrement? What, do I, what am I doing here? I struggle with it, honestly. And I think a lot of people do. And that's why when we get to Trinity Sunday today, one of the members of the Trinity, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that sort of facilitates, helps us facilitate our prayer, prayer life. I wanted to lean into that a little bit. I wanted to grab a hold of that, and that's why I went to Psalm 8, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But I want to start with talking about why prayer is important, because I think it is, and I think it's good to remind ourselves of that. And I want to say, too, there may be plenty of you out there who are totally good with their prayer life, who feel like, no, I've got a handle on it. It's good. That's great. That's awesome. Maybe this is just review. Maybe this is just a little bit of inspiration for y'all. But I'm guessing there's some folks here that are like me that sort of struggle with this from time to time, and that's why I want to talk about how important it is. And... The easiest reason to point out how important prayer is is because Jesus prayed, right? And as Christians who are trying to model our lives after the life and ministry of Jesus, if it was something that was important to Jesus, it's something that should be important to us. Jesus prayed, and Jesus prayed a lot. And interestingly, a lot of the times that you see in the Gospels stories of Jesus praying, it's, he's been in with a huge crowd situation, and he needs to get away and get to the other side of the lake or the other, somewhere removed where he can be alone and just commune with his Father. And again, as an introvert, I can understand being in a group of people and going, okay, I need to go over here now. He's all just, you're good, I'm going to go over here now. But that's where he'd pray. There was almost a meditative element to it. And as many of us know, meditation has enormously positive effects. You can use prayer as a form of meditation. I did, looked up a bunch of different studies. There was like a, it was a UCLA study where they studied over 20 years, people that meditated and people that didn't. And they found, as you get older, the functional part of your brain lessens over the years. It just does. That's natural. But folks that meditated over those 20 years, that shrinking was less than folks that didn't meditate, and measurably so. So prayer, in a form of meditation, actually helps your brain. little science fact for you there. Jesus prayed, and it's important because... Prayer is important because Jesus prayed. Prayer is also important because it, it helps facilitate relationship. I preached about this a couple of weeks ago, the importance of relationship, both within our community and with our relationship with God. Well, as anybody knows, communication, right, is the key to any relationship. And prayer is our form of communication with God. Prayer both individually, it gives us that one-on-one -on -one time, and prayer corporately. There's a reason that we do the call to worship. There's a reason that we do the prayers of confession. These aren't just things we tuck into the liturgy just to fill out time. It gives us a chance as a community to lift up our voice in lament or in praise, in worship, in joy, whatever it is, to God. And then hear back from God. That's a huge part of it too. We'll talk about that in here just a little bit. Prayer ultimately reminds us of that relationship and it re helps us reorient that relationship. It gives us perspective in times where we know we need a perspective shift and it gives us perspective in times where we didn't know we need a perspective shift and that may be even more important. So I want to talk a little bit about what prayer looks like and that's why I chose Psalm 8 to pray from today. And I'll be honest with you, when I was looking at the, the lectionary this week, I knew I wanted to grab the psalm because I knew I wanted to talk about prayer. And psalms and prayer are very much connected. And then I looked at Psalm 8, 
I went, oh, I don't think that's the one I really wanted, right? Because it's this weird kind of worship. God. I mean, we're in this time of chaos and pain and suffering all over the place in this world. And you want me to tell God how magisterial he is and how great he is and how one, you know, really? Is that the prayer I want to lift up? The more I thought about it, the more I thought that's exactly the prayer I want to lift up today because of the fact that things are so weird and chaotic and there's so much pain and suffering going on in the world right now. That it is that perspective shift that I know I need and maybe some of you do too. So as we look at Psalm 8, the the thing about the Psalms, let me start broader and we'll drill down on Psalm 8. The thing about the Psalms, most of the Bible is God trying to communicate how to be, how for us to be in relationship with God, right? That here's how I'm working, speaking as God now, which is a weird thing to do. Here's how I'm working in creation. Here's how I'm working through people. Here's how God works and tries to communicate and tries to be in relationship with us. It's mostly that omnidirectional flow. The Psalms are the one place where we get to talk to God. It's our prayer book of sorts. And as I talked about earlier, when I struggle with prayer, one of the things I've learned is to literally just open up the book of Psalms randomly. Just open one up and dig into a psalm because it is literally human beings trying to connect with the divine. And we can do that. We can find elements to pray through, and we'll see in this particular text today how we can find elements in the psalms to pray to, that inspire prayer within us. So you have, I mean, psalms of worship and praise, like the one we're looking at today. There are psalms of lament. There are the imprecatory psalms where you'll see a handful of psalms where these folks are asking God to do horrible things to their enemies. And believe it or not, there's stuff in there for us too. There's stuff in all the psalms. The psalms are a hugely, hugely important part of the Bible. So as we look at Psalm 8 here, this is a psalm, like I said, a prayer of worship, of praise. There's praise for creation, there's praise for our role in creation, and there's praise for being in relationship with God. There's all these elements that you'll see in this psalm as I start to break it down. But I want you to notice the structure first, because there's actually theology in the way that this particular psalm is structured. So if you have your liturgy, open that up for a second for the, for the, uh, the scripture there, because I want you to see this. If you look at verses 1 and verse 9, the first verse and the last verse, you'll notice right away they're the same verse, right? O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There's a point to that, right? The first, the first thing and the last thing is recognizing God's sovereignty. The, very, the boundaries of this psalm are God's sovereign control over all of creation. Now verses 2 through 8 focus squarely on humanity, and I'll walk us through those. But what you'll see is God bounding, providing structure for humanity. So if you look at verse 2, it talks about how a basic knowledge of God, right, out of the mouths of babes and infants, that basic knowledge of God. You can spend five years in seminary and get a fancy degree, and that's wonderful. But all of that is nothing if you don't have that very basic knowledge of God, that the basic knowledge of God, the kind of knowledge... A baby knows that uh, he or she is protected in her mother's arms. That kind of very basic feeling that I know God's there, I know God's comforting me. That arms us against anything that's trying to attack God. That, That arms us against the evil. That arms us against the chaos. That arms us against the suffering of the world. That's what verse two is is digging at right away. So we go from the sovereignty of God into how that wraps around us. And then in verse three and four, it sets us in our cosmic context, right? The universe, as best we know, is 13.8 billion years old. 
It is enormous. It is so large, the human mind can't really wrap itself around us. And here we are, this little group of people in a little chapel, in a little corner of a little planet, in a little solar system, in a little galaxy, in a minute portion of that enormous universe. And usually when you talk about how small and tiny and infinitesimal people are, that sets some people on edge, right? Well, don't we matter? If we're so small, if we're just these little specks of dust, do we even matter at all? And I want to say that it's actually the opposite. That our smallness in relation to the universe, to the relation, or in our relation to the totality of creation, makes us precious, makes us special in the eyes of God, makes each and every single one of us something God cares deeply, deeply about. Why? Because he created us. Because we are created. God didn't have to create anything. God didn't have to create the universe. He didn't have to create any of us. But God did, and that matters. And that context of us being so tiny and so small doesn't make us weak, doesn't make us insignificant. It makes us precious. Every single one of us are precious in God's eyes. And then when we get to verse 5 through 8, we start talking about our role in creation. We were, we're not just created, we're created with a purpose. Now, there's a word in verse 6 there that can get a little sticky, right? See that word, dominion? Eee. That can be kind of a problem, can it? Because the Hebrew root, root word there actually means rule. Actually means rule like a king or a queen. And that's not, that conjures images of earthly majesty, right? That conjures images of political power, of power over, of, of oppression. And that's, you know, that's not what we're here for, right? Except the kind of kingship or queenship that we're supposed to be following isn't the earthly kind of kingship or queenship, it's Jesus' kind of kingship, right? Jesus was a king not in empowering himself over other people. Jesus was a king in coming under people and serving other people at a sacrifice to himself. That's the kind of kingship that we're called to when it talks about dominion over the earth, dominion over the animals, dominion over all of creation. We aren't here to dominate it, even though that word sounds awfully similar, right? We're not here to dominate it, we're here to serve. We're here to serve each other, and we're here to be caretakers, to be stewards of creation. That's the kind of kingship that we're focused on in that verse 5 through 8 there. So what you see, again, is that the theology is dictated by the structure here, right? We have verses 1 through 9. Would you please just tuck under there? We have verses 1 through 9 telling us that all of creation, our role, our reason for existence, what we are here to do is bounded by, is bordered by, is defined by God's sovereignty. Our role, our rule as it is, is given to us by God. It is not something we have because we're here, right? I've earned it. I'm owed it. Even though that attitude can be very pervasive, it's not about that. It is something, is a gift and a responsibility given to us by God. And that structure, when you see verse 1 and 9 there, dictates that. You can see how the structure of this psalm dictates the theology of this psalm. Walter Brueggemann uh, wrote a wonderful commentary on the psalms, um, and it's not a long one either, so I highly recommend it. I can get the title for you if you're interested. But he said this about this particular portion. He said, praise of God without human authority is abdication and leaving it all to God. If we're just praising God and say, God, you handle this, I know you got this, that's great, and we do nothing, then we're failing because we are given responsibility and we are given a role. 
He goes on to say, but to use human power without the context of praise of God is to profane human regency over creation and so to usurp more than has been granted. If we start to feel like we are owed being in dominion over other people or other parts of creation, now we're doing it wrong as well. It's that, it's that balance. It's that understanding that our authority, our dominion is given to us, is bounded by, is defined by God. And you can see that in the structure of this psalm. So, I've been talking about prayer. Now we've sort of broken down this psalm. Now we get to the all play today, okay? Because what I've said before is that you can open the, the psalms and look at a particular psalm and find inspiration for prayer. So I'm curious, as I've now kind of laid out how this psalm works for you guys, if you were to open the book of psalms and you landed on Psalm 8 and you saw some of the themes and you saw some of the structure here, what kind of themes, what kind of ideas might jump out at you as things to pray over? And that can be things you want to give praise for. That can be things where you have questions that you want answered. That can be things that you lament. Whatever it is, we're just talking about ideas of, if I looked at this and I was going to say a prayer to God, what would I say or what kind of things would I want to talk about? That's our all play today. And you can just go ahead and shout out any answers to that question you might have. Prayer for people in authority. Excellent. I like that a lot. What it means to be a caretaker. What it means to be a caretaker. Excellent. Lament over our caring for the earth. Lament over our caring for the earth. Thank you, Roxanne. Left side of the room, the right side's dominating you right now. I'm just saying. <laughs> Come on now. There's, there's three other things, or, and they're connected to what you guys have been saying that I sort of came up with. Um, I think you could use this as an inspiration to thank God for creation, right? I mean, again, I talked about this earlier. As messed up as this world can be, as chaotic and as full of pain and suffering and, and lament as we feel right now, the alternative is non-existence. Every single day, every single day that we spend in this life is a gift. And tomorrow is promised to none of us. We can just be thankful. We can, be, we can recognize the pain and the chaos and the suffering that's going on right now. Absolutely, we can point at it, we can name it, and we can also recognize that it's a gift that we're created at all. We can also be thankful for God wanting to be in relationship with us. Again, I talked about the size of the universe and how we're kind of this small speck, and yet God cares deeply about each and every single one of us. Even as God is able to process a 13.8 billion year old universe, God cares about each and every single one of you and what's going on in your life and what you want to go on in your life, your hopes, your dreams, your suffering, your pain, all of it. God's aware and God's engaged. Doesn't have to do that. There's a group uh, of Christians um, and I use that term loosely, the other term that's used for them is deists. It was around the time of the Enlightenment, so we're talking 17th, 18th century, a lot of the founding fathers sort of would have identified themselves as deists, that thought that God was this magical or mystical creator, created the universe, set it in motion, and then stepped back and just watched what happened. It wasn't engaged. And they thought that because they believed that human intelligence and human agency and human wisdom was going to rescue the world. That's what they believed. I, okay, that's fine. I, I can't, I, I, the idea of not being in relationship with God, the idea of God being distant like that, I understand it gives humans a little bit more of an oomph. 
Uh, I think we take plenty of oomph on our own. I don't know that we really need any more, right? I want to be in relationship with God, and the God that I find in the Bible is a God that wants to be in relationship with me, and I'm eternally grateful for that because I don't know what I would do in this point in my life without that relationship. So I'd look at the psalm, and I'd want to be thankful for being in relationship with God. And then, talking about caretaking, talking about our role in creation, I have a lot of questions. Because obviously, me individually, even us as a community, can't do everything. So what is my role? What is our role in creation? What does God want for us to do? What does God have for us to do? That's a question I have, and that would be a question I would bring to God in prayer as I prayed my way through this psalm. So you can see how the themes that we talked about and the themes that we see in the Psalms can bring forth uh, ideas for prayers. But now comes the tricky part. After we've brought that stuff to God, now we have to stop and listen. And again, for my little Enneagram 5 brain, that is not an easy thing to do. I see a spiritual director from now and then, and she always wants to start the session with just two minutes of silence. I think she started at five, and I completely balked at five. It was just, five was not going to happen. Okay, well, can we do two? All right, I can try and do two. But I'm, I'm, when I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to be silent, and I'm trying to just be present in that moment, um, I start counting the different colored bricks and the cracks in the ceiling and the, 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 gee, the God laser hand thing, what's that about? And my brain can't just, it just, I really, really struggle with that. But it is important to try and grab hold of that somehow and try to make it silent. Because if we don't create that silence, if we don't create that room in our prayer life, how are we ever going to hear back? I said prayer is supposed to be a two-way street. It is supposed to be a two-way street. But how do you get the other way if you don't stop and create time? We're going to, at the end of the sermon, do the prayers of confession, and then we'll do 60 seconds of silence. It's been a tradition throughout the entire run of Genesis for a reason. That 60 seconds of silence is designed to give us space to hear back. And again, 60 seconds is about all my little brain can, can handle. So we, we have to make time, and then we have to act is the final portion of prayer, right? Prayer isn't just about that conversation. It's about how that conversation actually affects us, right? What it inspires us to do, how it helps us be better people, how it helps us change, even in just a small way, our attitude towards the rest of the world. It should change us for the better. It's supposed to change us for the better. There's a Christian author by the name of Sky Jathani, and he says that prayer is not the opposite of action. I'm sorry, yeah, prayer is not the opposite of action. It's the opposite of apathy. That if you invoke prayer to avoid action and to perpetuate apathy, you're doing it wrong. If prayer isn't getting on the inside of you and changing some things and inspiring you to do something a little bit differently, probably you need to keep praying. But that's the idea. It's not just about, hey, God, you got this. Go back to the Brueggemann quote. It's not, you know, I know you've got this, God. I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to do your thing. It's, I know you've got this, God, but how do I help? How, what do you want me to do? What is mine to do? And again, we get into that back and forthness of it. So the next question then becomes, how does that manifest with us here as a community, right? Well, we have a prayer team. I don't know how many of you know that. But we do, and it's a good group of people. If you look at the very last page of your liturgy there, you'll see a list of email addresses. And one of the email addresses is for the prayer team. If you have a need for prayer, if you need other people praying into your life, 
Literally all you have to do is send an email to that email address and it goes to every member of the prayer team and that those members of the prayer team will be in prayer with you and for you. And that's a cool thing. It's also a way, if you want to be more involved with the community, if you want to be more involved with the church, that you can be part of that team. There's no limit to the number of people that we have on that team. Sometimes it can be hard to figure out what your niche is here in a church, right? I mean, there's wonderfully talented musical folks that play there. There's greeters and there's folks that volunteer with kids. There's all kinds of volunteering opportunities, and those are great. But maybe those aren't for you. Well, here's another way that you can get involved, to be part of the prayer team. So please consider that. You can either email the prayer team email address if you'd like to be part of it, or send me an email, and I'll tell you more about how you can be part of that prayer team. Also, prior to COVID, we had a time during the service where you could seek prayer, if you recall. In the sanctuary, there was that little alcove off to the side there, and we'd station somebody there, and during the Eucharist, you were allowed to go up there and to seek prayer. And I understand why that had to go away with COVID. I totally get that. But I think we're at a point now where we can bring that back. Anybody want to amen that for me? Amen. Yeah. So here's what's going to happen today. As we get through the prayers of confession, as we get through the 60 seconds of silence, as we get into the Eucharist, I'm going to take Eucharist. I'm going to step out that back door because there really isn't a good spot in the room here to do it. And I'm going to step out into the portico room, whatever we were calling this place right here. I'm going to step out there. If you have any need for prayer, anything at all, please step out and join me. And please, somebody step out and join me. I don't want to just stand out there by myself all the time. <laughs> but please step out. And I would love to pray with you, and I would love to pray for you. Please be a part of that. And if you'd like to be the person to help facilitate that, I'm happy to go do it. But I'd like to create room for more people to do that. And again, that can be part of being part of that prayer team, is you can be the person we've created in the PCO, in our little scheduling. We've, we've created a volunteer opportunity for somebody who wants to be part of prayer, for somebody who wants to help facilitate, facilitate prayer for other people. If you're somebody that, where prayer comes very naturally, it's a wonderful spot for you to be in. Please help us out. So again, please reach out and help us. Uh, send me an email and I can explain more to you about that. Prayer is a conversation with God. It's as simple as that. God wants to be in relationship with each and every one of you. He wants to be in relationship with us as a community and prayer helps facilitate that. It doesn't mean it's always easy, I heard a pastor once say that God answers every prayer, but he answers it one of three ways. Yes, no, or wait. Now, I don't know about you, but wait's the last answer I want to hear. <laughs> Struggle with patience sometimes. I'd rather get a no and move on to the next thing than wait. So it's not always easy. It's not always easy, but it's, in, it's important. It's hugely important. So as we move on here today, I want to ask if you will join with me and recommit ourselves individually and corporately to the importance of prayer in our lives together. Will you step out in the portico and seek prayer? Will you be a part of the prayer team? Will you just look at the Psalms on your own and bring prayer into your life? It's important. And on this Trinity Sunday, as we talk about the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, it's hugely important. Amen? Amen. Endings are a place where life is real. 
Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.